if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday. It is the 27th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Really appreciate you being with us. Coming up on the program in a half an hour, we're going to be talking eh, a little more than a half an hour, beg your pardon, in about 40 minutes. We're going to be talking with Congressman Jim Jordan for his regular Monday visit. We have a lot to discuss from Capitol Hill. And what's going on here in the state of Ohio. So Jim Jordan will be with us at uh, 948 this morning. And in hour number two, uh, we're going to be talking with ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. They are dealing with another local religious liberty case, and we're going to give you the details on that. Uh, it's extraordinarily important that you pay attention to, and if possible, that you support the Alliance Defending Freedom because what they are doing right now is going to impact all of us for a very long time to come. And I'll tell you more about that story as we get closer to 1035. But since I I am bringing it up in the open, we need to pay a little bit of attention to what happened on Friday. And Friday was a very big deal. Uh, not a lot of people paid attention because of the weekend news cycle. That's why when these things, that's why some people like to accuse politicians and others of burying stories that are going to come out eventually. They do it on the weekend or on the way into the weekend because nobody's paying attention. And very few people have paid attention to what the Supreme Court did to religious liberty and did to, uh, your First Amendment rights on Friday. And so I want to give that some attention. On Friday, once again, the disgrace to the Supreme Court that is the Chief Justice John Roberts, a supposed originalist, a supposed conservative originalist who will only use and enforce the uh, Constitution as it's written rather than interpreting it and using it as an activist. That's what John Roberts was supposed to be. Do you remember that when George Bush nominated him? What he turned out to be is a liberal activist who is using his robe to uh, essentially cover um, his liberal leanings. And that's essentially what this is. John Roberts continues to side with the other four liberal justices in extraordinarily important case after extraordinarily important case. And he did it again on Friday. On Friday, the Supreme Court heard and then denied an emergency application from Calvary Chapel uh, in 
uh, in uh, Nevada in a case in which they sought to block the Nevada state restrictions on religious gatherings. In other words, Nevada has declined to allow any religious gathering of more than 50 people. Meanwhile, Nevada, home to Las Vegas, among other things, continues to allow hundreds to pour into places like casinos. So Calvary Church appealed in an emergency application to the Supreme Court to block that Nevada state rule. Chief Justice John Roberts sided with the other four liberals, and I'm just going to call them the other four liberals because that's what he is. He is no different than Ginsburg or Breyer or Kagan or Sotomayor. Justice John Roberts is one of them, not one of us. And by us, again, I don't believe there should be conservative and liberal justices on the court. But I believe there are liberal justices, which means activist justices, and there are conservative justices, which mean originalists. Just all that means is they follow the law or the uh, Constitution as it's written. They don't change it to evolve with the times and interpret what they think this meant or that. They just are originalists. Original language of the Constitution applies. That simple. Roberts was supposed to be one. He's not. So the majority did not offer an explanation as to why they voted to deny the Calvary Chapel, uh, chapel rather, uh, application. They didn't say a word. They just voted on it and said five to four, the decision stands. But, she, uh, but uh, Associate Justice Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee, did offer a very, very blistering, stinging dissent. And it was very short. In one paragraph... Justice Gorsuch hung Chief Justice John Roberts and his liberal majority friends out to dry. This is what Gorsuch wrote. Quote, This is a simple case. Under the governor's edict, a 10-screen multiplex may host 500 moviegoers at any time. A casino, too, may cater to hundreds at once, with perhaps six people huddled at each craps table here and a similar number gathered around every roulette wheel there. Large numbers and close quarters are fine in such places. But churches, synagogues, and mosques are banned from admitting more than 50 worshipers, no matter how large the building, how distant the individuals, how many wear face masks, no matter the precautions at all. In Nevada, it seems, it is better to be in in entertainment than religion. Maybe that is nothing new. But the First Amendment prohibits such obvious discrimination against the exercise of religion. The world we inhabit today, with a pandemic upon us, poses unusual challenges. But there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. End quote. I mean, it could not be more direct. It could not be more uh, uh, targeted at John Roberts and the liberal majority. And it could not be more accurate. The governor of Nevada, like all governors picking winners and losers in terms of who's allowed to gather. Remember, in, in California, gatherings of more than 50 people are banned. Unless you're going to go protest. If your cause is righteous enough in the church of the woke, well, then you can go ahead and gather by the hundreds. Gather by the thousands. Shoulder to shoulder. No distancing required. Protesting is righteous. 
Vandalism is righteous, too, apparently, because it goes right along with protest. Assaulting is righteous. You can do all of that without any problem. But if you want to pray, if you want to pray with your fellow parishioners in your church or in your mosque or in your synagogue, no more than 50. I don't care how big it is. That's just incredible. And John Roberts went along with the majority. So that's the reason why, or with the, with the um, uh, liberals to form the majority, rather. So that's, you know, that's why I brought it up, because coming up at um, uh, 1035, we're going to be talking more about religious liberty. This is just a, the, what the courts are doing is extraordinarily important. President Trump has done a phenomenal job. He has filled 200 federal court vacancies, and he's done them, the hope is, he's filled them with people like Gorsuch to a large extent. Gorsuch isn't perfect either, but I don't know if anybody is. But, you know, real constitutional originalists. And that's extraordinarily important. But the Supreme Court, the final court, the court to which all others look up to and and appeal to, uh, still has a liberal majority. Because they have Clinton appointee Ginsburg, Clinton appointee Breyer, Obama appointee Kagan, and Obama appointee Sotomayor along with Bush appointee Roberts. That's the liberal majority of the court. The minority of the court, Bush 41 appointee Thomas, Bush 41 appointee Alito, Trump appointees Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Remember how how desperate were the, the left was to stop Brett Kavanaugh because they were afraid this, this was going to turn abortion, turn Roe versus Wade? And, and other extraordinarily important decisions, because it's now a conservative majority on the court they saw it as? No, it's not. not. Not as long as Justice John Roberts continues to rule and act and argue like the liberal Trump hater, the liberal, liberal never Trumper, really, that he is. And I feel like that's exactly what we are seeing from that man. So really important stuff there. If you want to weigh in on it, 216-901-0945. We'll take your calls. 888 We'll use this as our time out. And by the way, coming up, Jerry Nadler says that Antifa violence in Portland, Oregon is a myth. 59 consecutive nights, all documented on videotape, of assaults, violence, arson, and more would beg to differ. America continues to burn now two full months after the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis. How and when will it ever stop? Going to address that next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 921. We continue on AM 1420. The answer. Appreciate you uh, being with us. We've got a lot to talk about today. Phone lines are open at 216 901 0945 888 1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. Um, violence in this country is just off the charts. There's just no other way to say it. It is off the charts. Uh, Portland continues to burn. Now Seattle, not now, but continuing, Seattle is getting even worse. On Friday, the chief of police up in the Pacific Northwest city of Seattle issued a statement 
saying that recent legislation, quote, gives officers no ability to intercede to preserve property in the midst of a large, violent crowd. In other words, the chief of police is condemning the liberal mayor and city council for tying the hands of the police. So the rioters are free to riot and to assault and to vandalize, to set fires, to block traffic, to jump up and down on cars, and more. That's not an exaggeration. They are free to do that. There is nothing that is going to impede them in that effort. This is what the liberal mayor of Seattle, and again, the liberal uh, um, city council members have, have, have wrought. This is what they want. And as a result of that, of course, what are we seeing? We're seeing, well, justice centers being set on fire. Literally, the justice center that is being built there was set on fire. Leading city, uh, Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant is complaining rather than of the brutality of the Antifa and Black Lives Matter mobs that are committing all the violence, is complaining about the, quote, brutality of capitalism. Let me say that again. The complaint from the member of city council, one of the leaders, is complaining about the brutality of capitalism. And so the riots are there. And police were attacked. At least 59 cops were uh, were injured. 59 police officers. They're going to hospitals by the dozens. Why? Because they can't fight back. Somebody tell me how, when, and why. Any, poli- any person would, would want to be a police officer in any one of these cities today. There's no reason whatsoever. Not only are you not going to get new people applying to become police officers to protect and serve the communities and the citizens in which they live, current police officers are running. They're fleeing. Retirements in New York City, for example, police retirements are up 400%. Now ponder that for a minute, 400%. Nobody wants this job. Why would they? They're having rocks thrown at them, and they can't defend themselves. They're having frozen bottles of water thrown at them, which are rocks. And they cannot defend themselves. They're having fireworks shot at them. And they can't defend themselves. 59 cops were injured, for crying out loud. They also rioted in California. ABC News continues to call them protesters. Video of the rioters trashing federal buildings, peacefully trashing, of course, and apparently firing peaceful bullets as well. Setting peaceful fires. All of it on video. Longtime Democrat Ted Van Dyke warns, the longer this continues, the greater demand to see it stopped. The greater demand to see it stopped will grow among wage-earning families, small business people, homeowners, taxpayers, and voters. Families of public safety and emergency personnel already have been alienated. Now, let me ask you, what is this longtime Democrat warning of? It should be pretty clear, right? What he is warning of is that if the left continues to destroy this country, city by city by city, average Americans, middle class Americans, 
liberty-loving Americans, protective Americans, are going to turn to Donald Trump to try to rein in the insanity. Democrats are starting to understand that America will not tolerate this nonstop violence, this chaos, this anarchy, this insurrection. And that's what it is. They're not going to tolerate it. And because they know Joe Biden will, and Joe Biden expresses support for and empathy for the Black Lives Matter Marxists behind it, the Antifa thugs carrying it out, and Joe Biden has indeed pledged to reallocate police funds to other places, which is tantamount to defunding police. They know full well that it's only going to get worse come November 4th. Or more importantly, January 20th of 2021, when a Biden administration is sworn in, when a a Democrat-led Senate takes over. Meanwhile, President Trump, doing what little he can at this point in time, since the liberal governors where these things are happening and the liberal mayors where these things are happening won't do anything with their police force or call up their own their own national guards president trump is sending federal agents to some of these cities the new york times has responded by blaming the federal agents for the violence my friends you can not make this stuff up New York Times tweeting, federal agents in Portland are generating unrest elsewhere as well. Galvanized in part by the deployment of federal agents in Portland, protesters have returned to the streets in Oakland, Seattle, and elsewhere, frustrating city leaders who have spent weeks working to ease tensions. This is the very definition of fake news. City leaders in Seattle and in Oakland have encouraged the violence by supporting the Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters and organizers. They've encouraged it. They haven't eased tensions. They have encouraged the tensions. And the federal authorities, this is the other part of it. In addition to the New York Times, blaming federal authorities for the increase in violence, rather than the other way around, which is the reality, that an increase in the violence has led President Trump to sending in federal authorities because it's his job and all of our elected officials' jobs to protect the citizenry. And the citizenry is in grave danger in these wild, out-of-control, anarchist-run cities. But in addition to the New York Times blaming the federal government for this, it gets even better. Liberal politicians have declared that Trump is testing martial law by putting federal authorities in Seattle and in Portland and coming to Cleveland and elsewhere, that he's testing martial law, that he's going to declare martial law before the election and therefore suspend the elections because of the emergency. That federal authorities on the streets arresting people is just Trump's way of uh, essentially establishing his dictatorship. It's unbelievable. He has sat by and watched, President Trump has, and begged liberal governors and mayors to do something about the violence in their cities because the people are suffering. Innocent people. Believe it or not, there are some innocent people and victims in Portland, Oregon. 
There are. Just because it looks like all of them are out protesting and setting fires, they're not. There are a lot of them more peaceful, innocent people trying to survive. They're hiding in their houses every night at about 9 o'clock and overnight, begging and praying that nobody is going to come and set fire to their homes. But they're watching helplessly on TV as their businesses burn. President Trump sees these innocent people suffering and sends federal troops to try to ease their suffering, to try to stop this, and the left calls it militarization and the imposition of martial law. This is a very, very dangerous time, my friends. It's been getting more dangerous by the week. It's not just COVID-19. It's not just the riots. It is a combination of the two and then leading up to the election. It's just putting a little cherry on top. All right, I want to hear from you at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. The Bob France Authority, right back. Nine thirty-six. Happy Monday to you. I heard a um, news item in the newscast that you just heard, saying something about the Indians winning a game. Uh, I wouldn't have known otherwise. We're only one weekend into this thing, or one weekend plus, and uh, I'm not watching. I am following to see what they're doing, and I see some people praising the Indians for standing during the national anthem. And I will give them that. And this isn't about the Indians. This is about the whole of MLB. MLB, which has become BLM, has fully embraced the Marxist organization that is attempting to undermine and destroy the American family, that is attempting to undermine and destroy the American way of life, that is attempting to undermine and destroy the American government, the organization that's attempting to undermine and destroy law and order in our cities, That's what Black Lives Matter, working together hand-in-hand with other anarchist groups like Antifa, Revcom USA, Revolutionary Abolitionists, and our pro sports leagues are all in. BLM stenciled on pitchers' mounds. And what I'm told is that while while most of the players, rather, are standing during the national anthem, before the anthem, they are still paying their tribute to the Marxist organization I just described. They're all taking a knee down the first and third base lines and then collectively holding a long black ribbon that extends from one foul pole around behind home plate to the other, as I understand it. And this is their tribute to Black Lives Matter, the Marxist organization that I just described. Baseball continues its wokeness, Basketball returns coming up in four nights. They will be fully woke with BLM uh, painted, or actually the full words, Black Lives Matter painted on the NBA floors. Again, a tribute. What, what, where have we gone and how have we fallen to a place where an organization can publicly profess its racism and its desire to destroy a country as it exists, and then to have pro sports support it publicly. Where where did we go? To have 
professional sports organizations worth collectively hundreds of billions of dollars and paying athletes, the vast majority of whom are minorities, collectively hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, are trying to tear down the capitalist society that made it all possible. How does that work? Think about that. The vast majority of baseball players are now minorities. Many, or if not most of them, Latino from Latina or from uh, Latin, Latin American countries, you know, Dominican Republic, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, yeah, you name it. Just a lot of of Latino ball players. Uh, not nearly as many African Americans as there used to be, for a variety of reasons, that has been studied by sociologists, uh, and fewer white players. But there are definitely more white players in baseball than there are basketball, which is around eighty percent African American. And the NFL, which is around 70 to 75% African American. So it's a majority minority in all of these pro sports, all making millions, if not tens of millions, and in some cases contracts worth hundreds of millions of dollars each. And they're complaining about the capitalist society in which it all happens. They want it destroyed. Okay. Okay. Let's see how that goes for you. By the way, uh, real quick, I want to read to you the Seattle uh, letter. The chief of police, Carmen Best in Seattle, that I told you about before, was warning her residents that they're on their own. It's not because of the police. It's because of the, the politicians. And I have it in front of me now. So this is dated Friday. A letter from Chief Best to businesses, business owners, and residents. Quote, Please know that the Seattle Police Department is committed to addressing life safety incidents and calls for service and responding to ongoing demonstrations and unrest in the city. But please also know that the City Council Ordinance 119805 crowd control tool goes into effect this weekend on Sunday, July 26th. This ordinance bans Seattle police officers from use of less lethal tools, including pepper spray, that is commonly used to disperse crowds that have turned violent. Simply put, the legislation gives officers no, she capitalized that and in bold print, no ability to safely intercede to preserve property in the midst of a large violent crowd. It is important to bring to your attention that yesterday I sent the city council a letter ensuring them that the chief of police, as chief of police rather, I have done my due diligence of informing them numerous times of, of the foreseeable impact of this ordinance on upcoming events. The letter is attached for your reference. For these reasons, Seattle Police will have an adjusted deployment in response to any demonstrations this weekend, as I will never ask our officers to risk their personal safety to protect property without the tools to do so in a safe way. Sincerely, Carmen Best, Chief of Police. She just told the residents, it's your politicians that sold you out. When you call 911 for a response because people are attacking your business or your home or your car, as they block traffic, when you call 911 and we don't show up, she says, don't blame us. Blame the politicians, the city council ordinance that was passed, saying that we can't do anything to help you. Let's ponder that for a little while. Bob has been waiting in Strongsville. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Bob. Go ahead. 
Hi, Bob. Right I yes, appreciate. Sir. Yeah, I appreciated your review of the direct assault on our democracy through the rioters. But I'd like to comment on the indirect assault, which is holding our students hostage. Especially, Cleveland schools announced that they're going to be uh, doing the first nine weeks for distance learning. And I wanted to remind people that Eric Gordon is a superintendent, but he works for the school board, who is basically hired by Mayor Jackson. So I think this is part of the Democratic plan. I like your comments. Um, I don't know that that last part is true. I think the school board members are are, are elected, are they not? They're not appointed, are they? Yeah, are they? Yes, they're appointed by Mayor Jackson. So they don't they don't have to answer to voters? No. School board members. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. In most districts, school board members are elected, not appointed. They have to, they have to be chosen was, by the people. That was changed when Cleveland yeah. Public Schools went through the charter change and became Cleveland Municipal School. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Good, 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 good call. Good point. Thank you. That's, that's, thank you for that reminder. That is right. Well, then my answer to your, to your question, uh, Bob, is, is to completely agree with you. Um, they don't, look, we call it distance learning for the first nine weeks, which is what you just said, Bob. It's, it's not distance learning. It's distance, all right, but there is no learning going on whatsoever. Um, that's I, true. I, I, I don't want to point, I don't want to have to point out, you know, and be redundant by saying that very many families, particularly in Cleveland schools, but we can extend this statewide or nationwide, a lot of families don't have Wi-Fi capability, don't have laptops, cannot do distance learning by way of a teacher on a screen or a lesson passed down, uh, you know, through, through the internet on a screen. So they can't do it at all. And dare I also say, for many who can, while they're doing their work, they're on their phones in a group chat sharing answers and information with one another. Dare I also say that distance learning can only work if parents are there and making sure that their children are logging on, those that do have the capability. Because how many second graders who are left to their own devices are going to know how or even remember or uh, care enough to log on to their work assignments or their school assignments. You know, we talk about this as if everybody is a high school student. They're not. Elementary school age kids, nobody is learning with distance learning. And it is an absolute crime that the politicians that are masquerading as board members working for Frank Jackson would allow such a thing to take place. I will talk more about that later, but i got to get out so I can get Congressman Jim Jordan coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 948, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, all of that video that you've been seeing of Portland burning, you know, all of the video of the violence that you have been seeing, all of the video of the attacks, all of the rioting, the smashing, the destroying, the looting, apparently it's all a figment of your imagination, at least according to Jerry Nadler. It is true. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? That's, that's, right. that's, that's a myth. It's being spread only in Washington, D.C. Jerry Nadler just said that the violence being committed by Antifa and the rest of the anarchists in Portland is a myth that's only being spread in Washington, D.C. 
Joining us now to react to that and a whole lot more is our good friend Congressman Jim Jordan joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good to have you back, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, Bob. Good to uh, good to be with you. You can't make this stuff up, can you? I mean, I mean but it shouldn't surprise us because um, I think it was four weeks ago on the House floor when, when Mr. Nadler and I are having a little debate, uh, our side's debate and their side, uh, he, he then said Antifa was imaginary. So I guess imaginary and a myth, he's, he's sticking with this, this, this crazy concept because it's very real. Just ask Andy No, ask the police officers, ask the businesses who've been destroyed. Um, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't get what the, the what, reporter what, that was questioning him. The reporter that was questioning him uh, did try to follow up and point out what you just said, yeah. you know, and all this other yeah. stuff, and he just walked away and got into a car and drove away. I mean, yeah. he's not even being made to answer for this. I mean, in, in all seriousness, I, I know that we have political divide. I know that we have partisanship. I know that Democrats and Republicans don't agree on a lot. But when it's being played out in front of our very eyes on live television every night, or at least on live streams, uh, and, and we have the, uh, 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 the uh, individuals, witnesses on tape talking about what they've seen seen and what they've done i mean how can somebody just say that's not happening uh, and, this person, and this person is in a position of power in the people's house i just i mean that's not happening well, don't believe does he think that it's hollywood cgi it's all being manufactured i don't get it yeah well well and understand uh, the they're the chairman of an important committee i mean you the, the judiciary committee is the committee that's supposed to be focused on the constitution supposed to be <laughs> focused on the rule of law, supposed to be focused on, on this idea that there are rights and liberties and private property, and, and, and when you have an, an, an entity that the president has said is a terrorist organization doing the things that they are doing in, in so many of our major cities, for goodness sake, let's, let's, let's understand what's going on here. So uh, that, is, that is a problem, and it's uh, certainly, I think, frustrating for especially for those people who've lost their business, especially for that police officers, uh, for those police officers who've been attacked. I mean, Come on. So, I just where today's last 58, year, 58 police officers were injured in attacks by these peaceful protesters in Seattle. Another 18, I think, went to the hospital in Chicago. Um, all of these peaceful protests, uh, apparently, the, you know, the, these mythological things that are happening, according to Jerry Nadler, what's the response supposed to be? President Trump said, okay. The police aren't allowed to do their jobs. And by the way, the Seattle chief of police, Carmen Best, wrote a letter to her residents uh, yep, over the weekend saying, by the way, when you call 911 to tell us that you are, your, your building, your home, your, your car is being assaulted, that you're under attack, when we don't respond, please know that we can't because the city council passed an ordinance saying we're not allowed to use crowd disbursement techniques. We, uh, in the middle of a large demonstration, we can do yes. nothing. So if the cops yes. can't do anything by order, President Trump says then we'll send in federal law enforcement agents who are not subject to these local orders, and they accuse him of militarizing America's streets and preparing to institute martial law. The Seattle City Council tells the Seattle police chief and the police officers there, you can't use certain tools that help you deal with violent crowds. What, what, what Carmen Best, the chief of uh, the police there, said was less lethal ways to deal with the, 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 the violent crowd. They said you can't use that. Now it's being challenged in, in court, and the courts put, a, I think, a stay on that. But they sent that. So the, the chief of police, as you said, Bob, sends a letter to the people that she, is, that she serves. God bless the chief of police. She was honest with the business owners and the residents in, the, in, in that yeah. part of Seattle. She said, look, we will have to have an adjusted deployment. That is a nice way of saying 
you're on your own. We can't do what we're, what we're trained to do, what we're supposed to do, because the city council is passing this ridiculous measure that, and, and oh, by the way, Mayor Durkin, she wouldn't veto it. She wouldn't sign it, but she wouldn't veto it. And then guess what? When they send the letter to the president of the United States, six, six mayors, guess who the first person to sign that letter is? Mayor Durkin, complaining and blaming it on President Trump for the very actions that, that happened in her city, with the actions by her city council that she wouldn't veto, and yet somehow it's President Trump. That, that, that's how the left operates. They, they allow this chaos that to, to happen, and they, it's never their fault, even though they've run the city forever. Get, get, again, we've done this every time. Guess how, many, guess how many Democrats are on the city council in Seattle? All of them. All of them are Democrats. Actually, no, oh. not all. There's one who's a socialist. There's one socialist, but there's no Republicans. <laughs> is so there a difference a, between those two, by the way? <laughs> well, good point. Good point. So this, this <laughs> but, is a frustrating thing, and, and you think about the, the business owners and the residents that the chief of police was willing to call and say, look, or send a letter to him and says, look, we would like to be there and do our job, our guys, but I, but I can't because they're tying our hands, and, and basically this adjusted deployment means you're going to be on your own. And then President Trump says, okay, I'll send some federal authorities in. And then Lori Lightfoot threatens to sue him. Bill de Blasio threatens to sue him. Libby Schaaf threatens to sue him. All of these liberal Democrat mayors whose cities are constantly under siege, where violent crime is spiking to extraordinary levels in the midst of defunding police and reassigning police. In the middle of all of that, they threaten to sue Donald Trump for trying to bring some law enforcement officers in to restore order. It's, uh, uh, it's a very frightening thing to think about. Let's and they have, and they, have the ner- they have the nerve in their letter, Bob, to say... Uh, Federal law enforcement is being deployed for political purposes. I mean, you, you would laugh. This wasn't so scary. And people, businesses being destroyed and lives being, and people being hurt. You would laugh. Like, they have the nerve to blame the president for politics? When they're, when they're bowing to the mob? When they're not, def- when they're not protecting businesses? And, and yet they accuse the president of bowing to politics? This is, un- this is the same Mayor Durkin in Seattle who said that it was the, the, the Chaz Chop Zone was a, was a block party. A block party where four That's people right. were shot and two people were killed, but she has the nerve to be the first person to sign this letter from six big city mayors in this country to the president, to, to, excuse me, to the attorney general, saying President Trump is being political. It's a, it's a, it, you again. You would laugh if it wasn't so serious. What's what's happening? Totally agree. I would also laugh if this wasn't so serious. The idea that you can pack hundreds of people into Caesar's palace, but you can't put more than 50 into a church or a synagogue or a mosque in the state of Nevada. The the liberal Supreme Court, the liberal majority, which of course includes um, uh, Ginsburg, Breyer, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Roberts, the liberal majority, because I'm tired of saying that the Chief Justice somehow sided with the liberals. You know, you do it often enough, you are what you say you are. Sometimes you got to listen to people. And he basically is saying, I'm a liberal. He's, he has decided that um, the church uh, that filed that emergency appeal in Nevada has no right to have more than 50 people in their building, no matter how big it may be. But, of course, as uh, uh, Associate Justice Gorsuch wrote in the dissent, as many people as they want to cram into movie theaters and to uh, casinos in Las Vegas, that is just fine. Again, the First Amendment takes another hit. Yeah, I mean, Gorsuch, Gorsuch line. There is no world in which you can go to Caesar's Palace but can't go to Calvary Chapel. Uh, I, I thought was, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, I think, but, but th- that line was so powerful in his dissent. And you're right. The liberal majority on the court said that you can't. I mean, look, you can protest, but you can't go to church. You can protest, but you can't go to school. You can protest, but you can't go to work. That's the world of the, of the, of the radical left today, that, 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 that those things... And only some of your First Amendment liberties are okay. You're, 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 and frankly, they're not even, these protesters really aren't following the, 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 
the First Amendment because the First Amendment talks about peaceful assembly. It doesn't Correct. talk about violent protests. It Correct. talks about peaceful assembly. So, so the, the freedom of the press and peaceful assembly are okay as long as it, or, or excuse me, uh, uh, as long as it's the left doing uh, the left doing it. Uh, but your your right to practice your faith, your right to uh, assemble. Remember when the when the conservatives were assembling back at the at the Michigan State House? Oh, this was terrible. We can't have that. But oh, the violent left they can go out and do their things, and and and, and the mainstream press says it's just fine. So yeah. this is frustrating, and and to have the court rule this way is really frustrating. It was also very frustrating, and yet something that I think you expected to learn. Uh, when we found out what the FBI did in 2016, they used what was supposed to be a defensive briefing with the, T- of the Trump yeah. campaign staff to supposedly warn them about Russian spying on the campaigns and interfering with the election. And they used that as cover to actually begin spying on the Trump campaign. We're just finding a lot of this out now. There are new calls for new hearings to hold these people accountable. Of course, the clock is ticking uh, before the, 20, yeah. you know, the November 3rd election. But uh, what's your reaction to what we learned over the weekend and uh, at the end of last week? Well, it happened just 17 days into the investigation. So, uh, you know, the investigation opened on July 31st. On August 17th, they go in to give the defensive briefing to candidate Trump, which you do, the FBI does, to the two major party candidates for president for the highest office in the land. So they were given that. That that took about 13 minutes. And then the other time, they're actually there seeing what they can pick up on the president. Actually, the president, they were telling the president, you may be a target of, of, of Russian spying when, in fact, they were spying on the president himself. Uh, so that's the scary part, and understand the timeline. July 31st, the case opens. April, or excuse me, August 8th, Peter Strzok says the text message will stop Trump. August 15th, he has the text message. We got the insurance policy. August 17th is when they go in and do this under the guise of being a defensive briefing. So, uh, and it was, and it was the key. You look at the first page of the document that was declassified. The first page, it's got Joe Pinka's name on it, Kevin Kleinsmith's name on it, and Peter Strzok. So the names are important. Kleinsmith's the guy who later lies to the FISA court, falsifies a document so they can get the warrant to spy on Carter Page. And, of course, Peter Strzok's the guy who ran the whole investigation and did those two text messages that I just talked about. So this is serious. This just confirms what we always suspected. They were targeting the president, even though Jim Comey told us the president wasn't the target of the investigation. We now obviously see that he was. Congressman, last thing before you go, and thank you for that very important information. Um, Jack Dorsey, the Twitter CEO, was supposed to testify today. I guess that's being pushed off because of the John Lewis uh, Memorial Services. Um, But he's supposed to come in on Wednesday. Can you tell us the substance? What is it he's going to be testifying to? Are we actually going to impose some rules that that, uh, that, uh, uh, impose fairness upon these social media (laughs) platforms? We hope he comes. We don't know that for sure. We have we have asked Chairman Nadler to bring in Mr. Dorsey in light of all the things that have happened of late with conservatives being targeted by social media platforms, and in particular Twitter, uh, the, the, the label they're putting on the president, the blocking and censoring of the president's materials. You know what? We've talked about what happened to, to a handful of us, four of us members, conservative members, two years ago when they shadow banned us. So in light of all that, and then, of course, they just had the breach two weeks ago. And then we were locked out of our account for about 24 hours. So all those issues, and, and it's like we, we think Jack Dorsey should be there along with the head of Google, along with uh, Mr. Zuckerberg at Facebook. So we think that should happen. We'll see if Mr. Nadler does it. But there's a lot of important questions. And the thing I always come back to is why does it always seem it's just conservatives who get censored? Never hear about the left getting censored. It always seems to be, we, why is it the Federalists getting demonetized? You don't hear about the, you know, the, 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 the Huffington Post getting demonetized on Google. Why is it always conservative? Why does it always end up that way? 
and I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a theme well, of, of and, the hearing. And, when you know, it happens on free, freedom of the press ought to be in play here, right? I mean, because they, they, yep. you know yep. the Twitter platform is is where a lot of people get their news, what they consider to be their news. And if they only allow certain news publications to be published and others denied, which is what they're doing with respect to conservative versus liberal accounts, uh, then they are literally not allowing the freedom of the press to be applied evenly. So, well said. Uh, I hope you you guys can get to the bottom of some of that. Congressman, thank you so much for your great work. You bet, Bob. Take care, bye. That's Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 10.01. We'll get news now and your phone calls after on AM 1420, The Answer.